We're continuing tonight the series that we began last week talking about the 12 apostles, 12 ordinary men. And we want to spend some time each week for the next several weeks looking at the lives of these men individually. Tonight we want to talk about Simon Peter. There are four lists of the names of the 12 apostles given in the New Testament. In each of the three synoptic gospels, that is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and one in Acts. And in each of these lists, the order of the names is almost identical. But what's most telling is that in each one of these lists, Peter's name is always first. He was the leader of the apostles. Consider what Matthew says in his account, the statement that heads his list of the twelve, Matthew chapter 10. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who's called Peter. Now that word that's translated there, first, in Greek, that doesn't merely mean first in a list. We're talking here about the chief, the foremost, as I said, the leader of the group. Peter's always in the foreground. He's often acting as the spokesman for the twelve. He seems to have had a, a dominant personality by nature. But, along with those good qualities, Peter had some less than ideal characteristics. That's the kind way to put it. He was brash, he was vacillating, he was undependable. He's the type that made big promises that he didn't follow through upon. Because he was so eager and so uh, zealous, sometimes he would leap before he looked. He was the type that was often the, the first one to dive into a situation, but also then the first one to come back out of it. How could a man like that be an apostle, let alone the leader of the twelve? Peter was not this man's give, given name. At birth, his parents named him Simon. Now, Simon was a very common name for a first century Jewish man. There are seven different men named Simon in the Gospel accounts alone, and in fact, there are two among the twelve, Simon Peter and Simon the Zealot. It's Jesus who gave him that other name. Listen to the way that Luke puts it. Luke chapter 6, verse 14, Luke introduces him as Simon, whom he also called Peter. You see, Jesus didn't just give him a new name to replace the old one. He also called him Peter. That is, sometimes he's Simon, sometimes he's Peter, sometimes he's Simon Peter. Most of you here tonight probably know that Peter means rock. In Aramaic, the language that Jesus and the apostles spoke, the equivalent term is Cephas. So John describes the first meeting between Jesus and Simon Peter, and he puts it this way, John chapter 1, verse 42. 
Jesus looked at him and he said, You're Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. That nickname was significant, as names in Scripture, particularly new names, second names, often are. Jesus wanted Simon to have this constant reminder of who he ought to be. Cephas, Peter, Rock. We find both of these names used then interchangeably. And it's interesting that both the gospel writers and Jesus himself seem to use Simon primarily when Peter's demonstrating the old self, the sorts of things that he needs to leave behind. So to give you just one example, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus goes to the apostles and he tells them uh, they're fishing there. He tells them to cast their nets back out of the water. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night. And we took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. See, that's the fisherman, Simon. He's reluctant. He's skeptical. But you remember that they cast out the nets and then they could hardly haul them back into the boats. They were filled to overflowing. And when their nets were filled, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Simon is the one that Satan was looking to sift like wheat when Jesus foretold his betrayal, Luke chapter 22. Simon is the one who was rebuked for not being able to sit and to watch and to pray with him even for an hour in the garden, Mark chapter 14. And so I think it must have been something like, I know some of you have, to exper have experienced this, when you were a kid and your parents would call you by your full name, and that's when you knew you were in really big trouble. I think it must have been something like that for Peter. Every time Jesus would call him Simon, he would think, oh no, what, what have I done now? Call me Peter. Call me Rock, he must have been thinking. And we can imagine that Jesus might have answered him, well, when you act like a rock, then I'll call you Rock. We see that in our text that Tristan read a few moments ago, don't we? That's when Peter makes that great confession. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And I also say, you are Peter on this rock. I'll build my church. So the question we really want to ask tonight is, how did Simon become Peter? How did this vacillating, impetuous man with the foot-shaped mouth become the leader of the twelve apostles? I think for one thing, we need to note that Simon had stuff. He had the raw characteristics that make up a leader within him already. Now, Jesus must have seen that when he chose him. 
And of course, God designed him that way, didn't he? None of this was by accident. Jesus didn't just choose him randomly. But Simon still had to be shaped. He had to be molded. Those raw materials still had to be formed into the leader, Peter. He was inquisitive by nature. That sort of curiosity is critical for a leader. A leader has to have a, a thirst for knowledge, and that thirst has to be unquenchable. You don't want someone in a leadership position who doesn't know, and they're, they're fine with that. They're content to remain ignorant. And so in the gospel accounts, we see Peter asking more questions than anyone else. Peter frequently asked Jesus to explain his hard sayings. In Mark chapter 15, for example. It's Matthew chapter 15, pardon me. Uh, Peter asks how many times he needs to forgive someone. Remember this, Matthew 18, verse 21, until seven times. Peter is the one who asks about the withered fig tree, Mark chapter 11. So Peter always wanted to know more. He always wanted to understand things better, and that sort of curiosity, that inquisitive nature is crucial to a leader. He also took initiative. A leader has to have drive. He has to have ambition. He has to have energy. He has to be the type of person that goes and makes things happen. And so we notice that Peter not only asks questions, he answers questions too, right? That was in the context of our text that was read a few minutes ago. When uh, Peter makes that confession, it's when Jesus asked them at Caesarea Philippi, who do men say that I am? And you remember they come out with answers. Well, you know, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And all of the other apostles are sitting there like frightened schoolboys. They're afraid that they'll get the answer wrong if they're the first one to pipe up. And it's Peter who says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter's bold in that answer. He's decisive. We see that same sort of decisiveness in the garden. It's Peter who, when this detachment of soldiers comes to arrest Jesus, pulls out his sword and is evidently willing to take them all on single-handedly. Now, I don't know what he thought he was going to do. He's an amateur. He's a, he's a fisherman. He's not a soldier. And I don't know what he thought one man was going to do against all of the rest of these. That's where we see that, that boldness. Uh, I can be a little bit too bold sometimes, Peter. He needs to be reined in a little bit. But nevertheless, he demonstrated that raw material, that stuff of initiative. As the saying goes, it's easier to tone down a fanatic than it is to resurrect a corpse. And I think we see that in Peter. He had that, that moxie that you need and that we see him demonstrate repeatedly in the book of Acts, for instance. And Peter not only had inquisitiveness, he not only had initiative, but he also was involved. True leaders are always right there in the thick of the action. They don't just stand there on the sidelines out of the way and let everybody else do things for them. You can't lead from behind, as the saying goes. You remember that one night, the twelve were out on a boat, the Sea of Galilee, and a storm blew up suddenly, as it's prone to do in that area. 
And then all of a sudden, Jesus came walking down the hillside and across the water to them. And you remember that Peter got up out of the boat and he started to walk to Jesus. Now, usually when we tell this story, we talk about Peter's lack of faith because he started to doubt and he saw the wind and the waves and he began to sink. But Peter was the only one to step out of the boat. All the rest of them were still there. They were afraid to take that step in the first place. Similarly, at the lowest moment of his life, Simon denied Jesus. But consider that Simon and John, it seems from his gospel account, were the only two who followed him after he was arrested. All the rest scattered. They were afraid. They ran for their lives. So Peter was virtually alone. He was in that situation where he was subject to temptation, but he was only there because of his devotion, his love for the Lord. He, he couldn't just abandon it when almost everyone else did. So we see this is the raw material that Simon was made of. Now, I think we can also see that that sort of mix of characteristics that could potentially be dangerous in the wrong hands. He still needed direction. He still needed to be molded and shaped. So how did Jesus do that? How did Jesus train Simon and turn him into Peter? Well, Jesus is our model for spiritual leadership. If we want to be Christian leaders, then that means we want to be like Christ. And so Peter really learned his lessons by seeing Jesus live them out himself. Jesus modeled what a leader was to be. And Peter emulated that example. And we see this demonstrated in many incidents in his life. And then I want us to compare the way Peter writes about these same subjects in his letters to see how he learned those lessons. So, first of all, Peter had to learn restraint. He had to learn restraint. There are many people who are natural leaders who don't naturally excel in this area. Self-control, moderation, those sorts of things don't necessarily come easily to them. They often have problems with anger and with frustration. And certainly we see that Peter had his hot-headed tendencies, didn't he? That situation in the garden that we've already mentioned, that's the classic example. Even when he's surrounded here by soldiers, he pulls out his sword because he's going to fight them here to the death. Now, Jesus rebuked him pretty sternly. Sheathe your sword. The one who lives by the sword will die by the sword. That must have been a difficult lesson for him to learn. I imagine it was pretty hard to be rebuked like that in front of all of these people, in front of your enemies. But Peter learned a great deal from what he witnessed. Later on, he would write, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 21, For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
Sounds like a completely different man from that hot-headed young fellow in the garden who pulled out his sword, doesn't it? Peter had learned restraint. He also had to learn humility. Leaders can be beset by pride. It's a common failing when, when people are always looking to you and when they're telling you how great they are, how great you are, when they're following you around and they're patting you on the back, it's easy to start to believe that yourself, right? And to think that you are all that. In Peter, we see a great deal of self-confidence, don't we? That's pretty clear in a man who asks all these questions, in a man who answers all of these questions, in a man who is the only one to step out of the boat and to walk on the water. He had a great deal of confidence in himself. And that's nowhere more obvious, painfully obvious, than the night when Jesus foretells that he's going to deny him. Matthew's account of this, Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 31. Jesus tells him that you're all going to fall away because of me. And Peter says, though they all fall away, I will never fall away. Luke's parallel account, Luke chapter 22, even puts it, Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to follow you to prison and to death. Of course, we know that in the end, Peter was wrong. Jesus was right. Peter ended up denying him three times that night, just as Jesus warned. But the Lord used all this to make Peter humble. And so we find him writing, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 5, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. He specifically told elders just a couple of verses earlier for them to not domineer over those in your charge. Be examples to the flock. That brash, overconfident young man turned into this man who was characterized by humility. It's one of the things that he demonstrated in his leadership and he tried to pass that on to others. That same episode involving his denial helped to teach him his third great lesson that he needed to learn, and that was to learn compassion. When Jesus told Peter that he would deny him, Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, Satan is looking to sift you like wheat. You might expect Jesus to say, but I'm not going to let that happen but he doesn't. Instead, Jesus says, but I have prayed for you. See, in other words, Satan is looking to sift Peter like wheat, and Jesus says, I'm going to allow you to be tested. But he goes on then, I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. And that's when Peter arrogantly insisted that he'd never stumble. Even though everybody else does, I'm not going to. I'll follow you to prison. I'll follow you to death. So what's this all about? Jesus says, when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. 
In this incident, Jesus was preparing him to be able to strengthen his brothers. People with Peter's temperament, his natural aptitude, they often tend to not be very sympathetic to the weaknesses of others. They don't like to see weakness in other people because they have trouble seeing it in themselves. And so they can't sympathize with what others are going through. They lack comp compassion. They're impatient with other people. But Peter's experience equipped him to be able to handle that. And for the rest of his life, Peter showed compassion towards those who were suffering and struggling. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. We know this passage. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We know that part of it. But have you ever paid attention to what follows? Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peter understood human weakness all too well. He hit rock bottom. But it's that that enabled him to be compassionate and to go and to strengthen others. Fourth and finally, Peter had to learn courage. Now, we're not talking here about that impetuous sort of courage that prompted him to step out of the boat onto the water. And we're not talking about that false sort of foolish courage that he exhibited in the garden. We're talking here about mature, considered, cool-headed courage to continue to preach Christ and to follow him, even knowing the consequences. John chapter 21, Jesus says to Peter, this is after Jesus' resurrection, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. John adds this, he said, to show what kind of death by which he was to glorify God. Jesus made it clear, and Peter knew, the price of following him, the price of preaching Christ, would be martyrdom. He'd suffer a life of persecution, oppression, imprisonment, torture, and he'd ultimately be killed. And so Peter would need rock-solid courage to persevere through all of that. We can see that emerge almost fully formed on Pentecost, can't we? When he preaches that first gospel sermon. And you see it clearly throughout the book of Acts. The first time that Peter and John are called up before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4, and they're warned not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus anymore. And Peter responds, well, whether we ought to listen to you or listen to God, you can judge that, but we can only speak the things that we've seen and heard. In the very next chapter, they tell them even more forcefully, we told you not to do this. And Peter responds even more boldly, we must, that is, God wills it, we must obey God rather than men. 
So as Peter learned these lessons and more that we could no doubt list if we had time, he was transformed. He became the man Christ called him to be, intended him to be all along. He went from that weak, vacillating Simon into the rock, Peter. He learned compassion, restraint, humility, courage, and he became a great leader. He preached that first gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. 3,000 were converted. A little bit later in Acts chapter 3, he and John go to the temple and they heal a lame man, and then he preaches again and thousands more are converted. He raised Dorcas from the dead, Acts chapter 9. He was the first one to go and to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, specifically to the centurion Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. And he wrote two letters that we've read several excerpts from that demonstrate all of those lessons that he learned from Jesus. Peter was a great man. Was he perfect? No. In fact, even after this, we find him sometimes slipping up. Galatians chapter 2 is a great example where we see a little bit of the old Simon slipping out again. Peter had been eating with Gentiles because he recognized that God was accepting everyone into the church, but some Judaizing teachers came from Jerusalem and they put pressure on him to stop doing that. And in the face of that pressure, Peter relented. He stopped eating with those Gentiles. He went back to eating and fellowshipping just with Jews. And it was to the point that Paul says there in Galatians 2 that he actually rebuked him to the face because of his behavior. To Peter's credit, he responded to that rebuke. And in fact, in Acts chapter 15, when we see the, the aftermath of all of this, when there's this discussion in Jerusalem, what are we going to do about letting Gentiles into the church? Do they need to keep the customs of the law of Moses or not? Do they need basically to become Jews before they can become Christians? It's Peter who stands up and says that that ought not to happen. Peter essentially takes that point of view of, of Paul here, defends Paul's ministry. That's a leader because that demonstrates that Peter continued to be teachable. He learned that lesson of humility. He learned that lesson of compassion, identifying with those Gentiles. He learned the lesson of courage, standing up here boldly even when pressure was on him. He learned those lessons well. And I think we could sum up his whole life no better way than the very last sentence we have from his pen, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. He writes there, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter certainly grew in that grace and knowledge of Christ. And what he points out to us is that if Jesus can take raw material like that and turn him into that great preacher of Pentecost, he can do great things with us too, if we let him. So the question you need to ask yourself tonight is, have you been allowing that grace and knowledge of Christ to grow in you? Have you allowed him to take hold of your life and continue to shape and to form you into what you ought to be? If not,
And if you need to make changes tonight, you have the opportunity to come and to make them now while we stand and while we sing.